0: Welcome to the Poor Charles 411. Today, we are revisiting our chat with Vincent Arizari. And for those of you who have never watched a soap opera other than General Hospital, he was on All My Children. And what prompted our conversation, he's also been on, I think, Days of Our Lives and Bold and the Beautiful too, sorry. But what prompted our conversation with him is that His character, David Hayward, on All My Children, was married to Anna DeFane during the time where Anna had gone from uh, General Hospital to All My Children. In October of 2020, we did a, I think it was a four-part series, breaking down all of Anna's years, and we were truly, truly honored to be able to speak with Vincent about All My Children And just getting to know him better as a person, I cannot believe it's been almost three years. We definitely need to check in with him. And part of why we did choose to revisit this chat is that Marcus Coloma and Ken Shiner have been doing their little uh, project with him through Instagram that's now on YouTube. They have a little series going on, and Vincent has been a part of it. So we just wanted to share this conversation with you again enjoy. Hi! Hi! Welcome to the Poor Charles 411. A little bit different
2: today, we had the opportunity to speak with Vincent Azari. That was so much fun, and I know I say that every time we do an interview, but it was so much fun. He's so easy to listen to. He could have talked for another six hours, and I would have just sat here and absorbed everything that he said. Yeah,
0: and we talked about this when we talked about Anna on the show. Like I did not watch all my children. So I was nervous about talking to him because I'm like, I'm not gonna have anything to talk to this man
2: about. And then he mentioned <laughs> And then Amanda only said like two words. Because it was... <laughs> So I know you're not supposed to mix the characters with the actors. But talking to him was exactly what I feel like talking to David would have been back then. And he's just beautiful. So I'll sit here and stare at him while he talks all day long. Is perfectly he, fine with he me. He definitely talked more than we did. It was yes. it was really good. But I mean, he was so
0: just generous with his time. And the stories that he told were just amazing. So, And now he knows what your basement looks like. <laughs> you have to go to the end to find out why we're talking about that. So we hope that you enjoy this conversation with Vincent Azari.
1: Hi, can you hear me?
0: Yep, I'm Shannon. Oh, man, hi, sorry.
1: Shannon, Amanda, hi Shannon, oh. hi Amanda. Well, it's good to see you both. You
0: too, thank you, you too. for joining us.
1: Thank you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute my phone so in case it rings, uh, we're not gonna hear that. Um, so anyway, well, how you doing? Happy hi, Tuesday. Hi, how are you? I'm
3: yeah. um,
1: well, thank you. I'm sort of trying trying to get this so that it looks like it's a good way to do it. Does it look all right? It looks perfectly fine. Like yep. Now I'm assuming you're doing this, but you're record. You're going to do it as a podcast. It's not going to be a visual, right? Right. right. Yep. Okay. So it doesn't matter. I could have stayed no. in my pajamas.
0: Damn. Yep. Exactly. <laughs>
1: I just worked out a little while ago. I showered. It was like, what's the point? Yeah. Okay. So, well, anyway, so so what's up? What do you want to talk about? Everything. <laughs> yeah
0: well first yeah. how was your trip with your daughter you said that you were going to new york to visit her
1: it, it was wonderful it was really very special my daughter she lives in, uh, in brooklyn queens and uh by bushwick and Ridgewood. is right next to each other um, but she's lived in brooklyn basically for 10 years now and um we went i went there because it was actually a solemn occasion my cousin uh lauren that she was 38 but she was Sienna, my daughter Sienna, they were like best friends for the last 10 years since she moved to Brooklyn. Lauren uh, lived in Brooklyn and was the manager of a, a restaurant there, um, a, a bar and restaurant. And she passed away a few months ago. And um, she was very much loved by the people in that community because she was a manager at that, rest, at that bar for eight years. And so many people knew her, and, and they all go funded me a page. And there was a muralist that's a very well known muralist. Um, there and she painted two murals of her in in Bushwick and they were stunning absolutely beautiful um one at the bar that's there um and another one on one of the streets in Bushwick that's huge and it's just absolutely gorgeous um so it ju- they were just finished recently so I went back to see my daughter and go see the murals and it was very special it was really special um so, it was, it was that kind of a, of a whirlwind visit. I left on Tuesday, arrived Wednesday morning, saw my daughter Wednesday afternoon and evening, and then left Thursday. So, it was that, it was that quick. But, um, and it was very spontaneous that it happened at that time. So, everything worked out to do it. So, but it was great to see her and wonderful to celebrate my cousin and um, in memory and tribute to her. So, that was very special. Yeah. That
0: sounds like a beautiful, tribute
1: yeah it's really special if you go on my instagram page you can see the the murals themselves they're really spectacular and the muralist actually is going to travel down to new orleans um, because that was also lauren's favorite city and she's going to do another mural down there for her and um, my daughter aria who lives in new orleans she graduated from loyola there and she stayed there since she graduated she's helping them to find a location for them to do the next one so Uh, that's awesome
0: i think i did see them actually the other day but i didn't notice what they were you know it's
1: okay you know you're scrolling through instagram
0: and you're like oh that's pretty you know yeah
1: yeah so anyway so yeah so that was my trip to new york and um i was happy i was able to do it it was great to see my daughter sienna um yeah she's um you know it goes by so quickly i've got four children and she's my second oldest my oldest is my son ash and he has um, two daughters, my like two granddaughters, um, over the last, like, two and a half years. Um, it's oh, been wow. So that's really special. And then my daughter, Sienna, I mean, Aria lives in New Orleans, as I mentioned. And my son, Elias, he lives, he's going to school at the Citadel in South Carolina.
3: Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, he started, this is his freshman year. And, um, yeah, and I went to visit him about two weeks ago down there in, in, in um, Charleston. And we had a great time. It was good to see him. So, yeah, just been bouncing around and doing things and trying to get some things done here, you know?
0: Yeah. Was he involved in like the junior ROTC or anything in high school?
1: He was. He, he first he, he was born and raised in, in Montclair, New Jersey. And um, when he was about I guess, 14, 14 15, um, he moved. He and his mother moved from there to South Carolina. And when he was there, he joined the junior RTC. And it really did change his whole uh, worldview and perspective. And it changed, it just changed his whole life. It was like a major turn for him there. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. He loved the junior RTC. He loved the um, discipline of it. And when I tell you about my son Elias, he, he would be the last person I would have thought would have been in this type of a regiment where. You're having physical training on a regular basis, getting up at five in the morning, going out and do pee, pee, um, at PT, and I, I'm just telling you, it just it's just shocking to me because he was the kid his whole life. He's like a computer whiz, mm-hmm. and he would be in front of the computer all day if he could. We had to like pull him off all the time. He was not the kind of kid, and we, you know, we tried to get him. To, the most he ever did was um, Taekwondo for a, a couple of years, and he did well with it. But he was not the kind of kid to play soccer or football or baseball or anything. It just wasn't for him. So to see him become, this type of kid where he's like physically training on a regular basis, he looks like a totally different person than he did three years ago. And um, yeah, and he even became a sergeant major in his junior R T C. He was like he was overseeing about two hundred other kids in the junior R T C. Wow, so
0: that's a huge program. Both of our kids. Well, she has two kids in it and my son's in it with her oldest daughter.
1: Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. And where where are you both located?
0: Oh, we're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In
1: Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. OK. Yep. Yep. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was a huge guiding light um, fan base there. When I was doing guiding light back in the 80s, it was huge. Oh, yeah. In Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't go through the airport without it like a promotion happening all the time. It was like this character Lujack that I did back then every time I went to Pittsburgh. And the people were wonderful. I loved them. It was it was fantastic. And I did an appearance once at a ski resort that was outside of Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly. probably Seven Springs. That probably sounds seven familiar. Seven
0: Springs or Nemo yeah. but I would imagine Seven Springs probably. more. I, yeah. I
1: did an appearance there at one time. This is like I said, back in the in the mid to late eighties, around that time. Um And it was great, and I've done in Pennsylvania different places, like Erie, Pennsylvania. I did one there years ago, and uh, with the uh, with this huge mall that's um, uh, Prussia, something Prussia. King King, of Prussia. King of Prussia, King of Prussia, which is an odd name for a mall, but (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the location, I guess. Is that the name of the town, King of Prussia? Yeah, yeah it's still a strange name. Pennsylvania, the, pit, the king of Prussia is the name you call your town. <laughs> <it's interesting. laughs> right. All right, I'll go with that for whatever reason. But yeah. Yeah. But, um, I love Pennsylvania. So that's wonderful. So your kids, your children are a part of that too, and how do they enjoy it?
0: Love it. And actually my son sounds very similar to yours. He draws nonstop. I mean, that's all that he does. He's done swimming, he's did a little bit of karate, but Yeah he loves it and so my son's a senior and her oldest daughter's a senior so they're starting to get wow. into that and you know I'm like are you going to continue with ROTC and he's like yeah so
1: that's awesome that's awesome and I, I it was fun going to see my son I mean it is a different time it's not your usual freshman year with the whole thing COVID and um they they're they're more restrictions than they have in the past you know the first week that they have um it's a challenge week, you know, for the freshmen's. And afterwards, usually there's like an outing to go to the beach and they can do that. So it's like in the first few weeks, they weren't even allowed to socialize outside of their rooms with other um, oh. students because they want to make sure they contained and kept everybody safe because they were, they were going through school, like regular school, um, and they didn't want to have to shut it down. So they were doing that, but they've loosened it up a bit. And I, that was another whirlwind trip. I literally, but not every weekend, because he's a freshman, he doesn't always have leave on the weekends. So I found out at three o'clock in the morning on Friday morning that he had leave. And I didn't <laughs> sleep until I found out. And then he said he had leave. So I literally went to the airport and did standby at six in the morning to go see him without sleep and flew through the night and... I I got there and it worked out well because he had to be, it was mandatory. He had to go to some football game that the Citadel was playing that day, but he was going to be done around 3.30. I got to see him at at four o'clock. I landed at like 2.30, went to the hotel. So it all worked out. So I got to see him that, that Saturday night and all day Sunday. And I left on Monday. So I was able to see him. It was that kind of a whirlwind trip again. So um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because he has to wear his uniform outside Mm -hmm. of the school within a 10 mile radius. So anything we did in Charleston, he has to wear his uniform. He's not allowed to take it off. So, you know, we're walking all around and he's wearing his uniform and we see others that are doing that too in the the city. Um, But he was very concerned because we went to a barbecue place, a a well-known barbecue restaurant there that he wanted to try, but he was like, really worried that it might scatter <laughs> or something. So we had to make sure that he had the pulled pork instead and then he could put as much as he wanted on that's each part right. so he had to, like, careful. So he wasn't like eating ribs and stuff like that, but it was, it was fun, he had a great time, it was great.
0: That so. would be interesting to see the uniform with the bib. You're right. you right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I know, that's true, that's true, it was pretty funny. Hmm.
0: So your kids are all spread out, but you're originally from New York.
1: I am, I was born and raised in New York. Uh, I was born in Queens. I uh, lived there till I was eight years old and grew up on Long Island. Um, I went, um, I lived in Manhattan there, but after school, I went to school at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And um, yeah, and after after that, I, I went, moved to Manhattan. I lived in Manhattan on and off. I lived in Manhattan for probably 15 years and also lived out in New Jersey as well. When I was doing all my children, I was, um, I started in the city And then I moved out to um, to Montclair, New Jersey, and we lived there for eleven years. But I was traveling back and forth from Montclair to Los Angeles because at that time I started doing "Young and the Restless." Um, And then the whole show, all my children moved to Los Angeles, and I was traveling again back and forth from Montclair to to uh, Los Angeles because we weren't sure what was going to happen with the show—whether it was definitely going to stay on if I was going to keep living in LA. But I've been here ever since; it's been ten years. So I moved out here just before in December of 2009. So it was right before 2010. We started, um, we started filming here on January 4th, if I remember correctly, of 2010. And the reason I remembered that is because that was literally the 40th anniversary of the show, was on January 4th.
3: Oh. And
1: yeah, and we started here on that day. And I was in the first scenes with Rebecca Buttig in the new studio. We did the first scenes of the day starting there, and um, with Greenlee,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and
1: um, yeah, so that's where we are, and I've been here since. So that's it. And for
0: the General Hospital fans listening, she's also yep. hated.
1: <laughs> oh, she's hated in on General Hospital. She mm-hmm. well, she
0: wa- she is ish. She keeps coming <laughs> and going.
1: Oh wow! But her character—what's the name of her character on there?
0: Hayden. Hayden, Hayden Barnes. Hayden.
1: Okay, so yep. it wasn't a it wasn't a rollover, a crossover from all my children.
0: No. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I've been told that all, that general that ABC now has the full rights to all the characters from <gasps> the two shows. That's what I've been told. I don't mm. know if that's true. I know <laughs> that at one point they did not because right. uh, Prospect Park had uh, licensed the show. Yep. And that was just a mess, the whole thing. And it was such a shame because the All My Children online version was actually excellent. It was Mm -hmm. so well done. The writing was fantastic. The casting, everything was great. The studio was beautiful. The way it was shot. The story was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And they got into a legal fight with ABC. Um, That was like a $125 million lawsuit. And they shut everything down. Um, wow. and, but apparently from what I understand that, that court case has been, it's been dismissed like for a couple of years now. Okay. Um, so that was my understanding. And that's what the, what people have said, even though the cast members that I've spoken to, their understanding is that ABC has the rights to the character. So who knows? That's why I wasn't sure if she was a crossover. I didn't know. So. Yeah.
0: Well, so it's interesting uh-huh. because, um, so we had three characters from one life to live come over as their characters. Right but then G.H. killed two. Then
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Nora Buchanan still comes over every now and again. They all left one day and then came back as different characters.
1: Right. That was in the midst of the whole thing yep. that happened. That was part of the lawsuit, mm-hmm. from my understanding. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not an authority in this, but my understanding right. was that they had taken the characters from One Life to Live because the, the executive producer, Frank was also the executive producer on One Life to Live, and when he Mm -hmm. was hired to be the executive producer for General Hospital, and Prospect Park had been dragging behind, dragging and getting production going. It was was strange. The timing of it was, you know, we finished shooting sometime, I think it was in 2011 at ABC when we were doing it here. It was about a year and a half after we finished, how we started. And we were supposed to start right away um, for the online but it never happened and it kept telling us it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and then they just stopped telling us and about a year a, a little close to a year and a half went by well it's just over a year like 15 months later i got a call from um from ginger who was the uh, exec who was one of the producers on all my children at the time that they were resurrecting it for the online version this was in December, and um i think it was like 2013 maybe or 2012 2012 and they were bringing it back but they had to get it up before the last week of february they had to be in production by the last week of february this was in december i'm telling you right so (laughs) so in two months they had to get up and i said to ginger i said okay so well all right who's who's doing who's the right who are the writers uh we don't have any writers yet we're talking to several writers i'm like okay, you have two months. Is where, where are we doing this? She said, well, we're looking for a studio. So I'm like, you don't have a studio? No, we don't have a studio. So you don't have sets or anything. You don't have a production office. No, we're doing that all right now. And I'm like, you're going to do this in two months? She said, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. And she got it done. I mean, she was brilliant at it. And that last week before, because if they didn't do it by the end of that time, that was when the licensing period was going to end and they were going to lose the rights to the show. Not only did that last week of February, were we all walking on these brand new sets that were built in this beautiful soundstage in Connecticut with the production office and everything else. The scripts were fantastic. Everybody, we were very excited about it. And the same thing for One Life to Live. That was, they did it both simultaneously. So it it, it was crazy. I couldn't believe that we did it, but then they got into their lawsuit. And that's why, because of that duration of time between when we finished filming um, for ABC. It was almost a year and a half, basically. And during that time, Frank decided they weren't using the characters. So he took them over to General Hospital. But sure. then that became part of the lawsuit. And Prospect Park was basically claiming that they were, they were prohibiting their success by using the characters. That was one of the issues that I understood. So that's what Frank and the head writers at the time, um, they decided in, in a wise way Okay, let the characters walk off for a couple days and come back, as different people.
0: (laughs) So many unresolved. It's like
1: right out of a soap dish, you know? Mm -hmm. You (laughs) know, honestly, it is. It's like, it's crazy. (laughs) I just think it's really funny. But that was very smart of them. They did that because then they couldn't complain about it. It's like, all right, you have the characters, but the actors didn't want to go do the online one because now they're working on the network show. And you know, they have every right to make a decision about that, that's their right. So anyway, it's kind of funny.
0: No, that is. So if the lawsuit's cleared, then David could come to General
3: Hospital.
1: I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, certainly it seems like if the character is under their rights that they have a right to do it, then they could do it if they so desire.
2: You know, it's their
1: show. They could do what they want with it or not. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, there are so many fans that that have been supportive of that as a possibility. And been very outspoken and, you know, rallying and, you know, on social media and trying to get me on that show. And that's very sweet of them. That's great. I have no control over that. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I'm very, and I'm touched by their loyalty, their, their support of me and my work and, and the character's relationship with Anna. That was very special, that relationship. And, um, and we'd certainly have our history, especially considering the fact that Leora, our daughter, um, passed away. Um, I, I heard your podcast about it, so you 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 did finally get it why the name was Leora. One of you, because you didn't watch it as much. And I yeah.
0: didn't. I never watched all my children. Amanda did.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that and was w-
0: all brand
3: new for me.
1: Right, and I certainly understand why you would have been confused by the name Leora, because we were too. <laughs> we were like, okay. I get it. I know it's because we're on. A, we want to honor Leo, that was played by Josh Duhamel, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to honor his character, my character David wants to hire, uh, honor Leo and remember him um but alas we I, we didn 't have a boy, so we had a girl, so we named him her leora and it 's a weird name, but you know anyway, <laughs> yeah, but that was different. and I also remember you saying something there too in the podcast about how it was a very intense storyline for a long time and very upsetting and it touched people on a very personal level, especially people like you both spoke about this that had a personal effect on you because of your life experiences. And I can assure you that both Fanola and I, we even looked at each other one day. This was after it was like two, two and a half months, that storyline, man. And we both looked at each other and we were like, this is exhausting. And we both wondered, is this even entertaining anymore? It's just, it's truly probably one of the most devastating stories to tell when you're dealing with the, the life of an infant um, and the loss of an infant. It, it, I mean, if you want to bring any truth to it, of course, it's like you're beating the hell out of yourself for, for months. It's, and that's, it did, it went on for months. And we even said something Executive exactly producer, I mean, how much longer are we going to be doing this? Cause this is painful. And we would assume that there are many people in the audience who are feeling exactly the same way because we were questioning that. I mean, it's different in a movie, because in a movie, it's a small little portion of a two-hour film, and right. then it goes on, and you see the growth from it, or however the characters develop from that tragic experience. This is a long-running story, and it went on for months, so it, it was tough. It was really tough, absolutely. So You
2: definitely did it justice, though. I feel like the storyline completed itself. Whenever they ended and watched her walk out the door and shut the door, you could feel okay. the two of you, you know, get your
1: peace with it. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I mean, I got to tell you, has always been brilliant, you know, and she brings such beautiful nuance um, to her work on any story. And she absolutely did with that as well. You know, we had, we, we had a good long run together on, as the characters on that show. And oddly enough, we actually bookended the beginning of the relationship on the show and our last scenes on the show with two historic moments in New York City history um our first date as a character of David and Anna that we were taping actually happened the morning of 9 11. oh wow we went to work that day both of us knowing that we had these great flirtatious fun scenes that we were going to be doing we were the first scenes up that morning i lived in new jersey as i mentioned so the last thing that i would always see when you drive through the helix going to link the tunnel the helix is a circular thing the last thing you see is at the World Trade Center, it's right in front of your eyes. That's what you would see at that time, and it was a perfectly clear, beautiful day that day. And we were first scenes up, so we were there at the studio like seven thirty in the morning. Um, and after we got dressed and we went in to get touched up for makeup, which is about eight forty-five or so, eight fifty, and we went in to makeup. And while we were getting touched up, because we were going to go up on the set, just the two of us, and run our lines up there. We were running lines in my dressing room before that, and it was fun, flirtatious, and playful. We were really excited about the scenes. Go to get touched up, and somebody comes in the makeup room, and they say, "Um, turn on the TV. It looks like somebody crashed into the World Trade Center. So they turned on the TV in the makeup They turned on the news, actually. The TV was on in the makeup room. And at that first, I don't know if you remember, the first shots that people saw on the news was a long shot. It was from far Mm -hmm. away. So it looked like it was a part of the of the World Trade Center that was scorched. Okay, mm-hmm. it was, you couldn't tell it was a jetliner. It looked right. like a plane that crashed. Yeah, they thought it. it was just like
0: a personal plane that, because that's yeah. happened before, you know, that right. personal, right.
1: yeah. And, and I remember somebody saying, well, whoever did that must not have seen it. And, I'm, and I said, it's like 110 mile visibility out there today. Whoever did that did it on purpose. I thought it was like a private plane that person committed suicide. That's what we were thinking. Right. So we go upstairs and we're on the set running the lines together and the director came on the set. He started working with us too. And all the crew was watching the monitors on the floor. And that's when we saw the close-up of the second jetliner crash into the towers. Mm-hmm. Everybody, people literally like were shocked. People want the person was screaming. like, Oh my gosh. Came every freak we stopped, we were watching and they were showing the replay what happened. And it was like, Oh my gosh, it was a jetliner crash into the World Trade Center. And because we're ABC, they, the producers that were on the set had their, their headsets that they were able to communicate with the newsroom. And they were finding out that there were other planes that were missing. Oh, wow. And then we realized we were under attack. And the director then tried to rally everybody, let's get back to work. And for Noel and I then are doing these same one-time playful, flirtatious scenes in rehearsal, like we we're going to tape them and totally different state of mind now. We're not in that place. And we both like looked at you and said, what the hell are we doing? This doesn't feel right now.
3: Yeah, right.
1: And then the first tower collapsed. And we were, the, then there was like hysteria. It was one of the um, extras that was on the show, a woman, she had dropped her son off at a daycare, like just blocks away from the, the towers. She went hysterical, people were, crying, screaming, one of the principal actors, I'm not going to say who it is because it's her privacy, but she lived down there at the Battery Park and her brother would be going into the subways um, there in New York to go to work around that time. She was hysterical. So we stopped everything, producers came up on the floor, all the crew, we we, were called together to hold hands. And Nadine Aronson, who was one of our producers at the time, she said a prayer with all of us on the soundstage and they announced that they were stopping production for the day because some of the crew was going to be taken by the news division. Um, that was my first day working with Fanola as the characters coming together, okay, in the set, I mean, yep. in the story. Um, our last day at work together was when we were just about to do our scenes and the, we had the major blackout in New York City oh. that was a blackout that was all of the Northeast coast all up to Canada.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: right before we're about to do our scenes, everything blacked out, the whole studio went dark. And at first it was, it was concerning because there were some people that were very emotional because they thought we were, there was another attack. We thought it was, that some people thought that it was another one. Some of us were just waiting to get more information. Um, but it was crazy. That was the two, the, our last day working together and our first day, the characters working together as a couple coming together. That was bookended the storyline with me and Fanola. It's crazy, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I just even this year when nine eleven happened, there was a thing on Instagram saying, you know, do you remember where you were on on nine eleven? And I sent an inbox DM to Finola, just with a heart and remember in remembrance of it where we were. That's all. Mm. Crazy, huh? It is, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It seemed like I brought you guys down. No, no, all no. I mean, <laughs> it's,
0: everyone has their it, story of what story. that was that day, you know? And
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, it's it's one of those moments, obviously, that all of us will always remember where we were and what was happening at that time. But that significantly had to do with my working with Vanola and the characters coming together and ending, um, which is interesting. So, and I also heard, I remember on the um on your podcast that you both were surprised by certain people that you were seeing on the show. Like Michael B. Jordan. That okay? was me. Yeah. Well yeah. Michael B. was on the show. Mm-hmm. And an interesting story about that was that it was actually Chadwick Bosman was cast in that role before. Oh Chadwick and yeah. it was it was interesting because I didn't even realize that it was him because it was so many years ago. This is like two thousand two maybe um 2004, around that time, when, like, Chadwick is initially was the cast was cast for as Reggie that Michael B. Jordan played. He was only on the show for like a week or two and they let him go. Um, and I was shocked by that. And so was Fanola because we both thought he was a fantastic actor. He was amazing in the scenes that we did together. And I didn't know the story. I just figured they wanted somebody younger because Michael B. Jordan came in. He was 16. He was 10 years younger. I mean, if you look at their ages, they're 10 years apart. So yeah. he was 10 years younger. So I think the story was basically that, that they wanted somebody younger to play the role. And Michael B. was fantastic as well. They both are wonderful, brilliant actors, both of them. But it was interesting because after his passing, that uh, video was sent around online, social media of Chadwick speaking at a commencement speech at a college and he brought up how he was let go from that show and it apparently from what he said is that he had a meeting after he started working on the show with the head writers and it was not it wasn't unsolicited his perception of it they were actually invited him to share what his thoughts were about the character and he said that he was concerned because he felt like they were writing his character in a stereotypical manner and they, it, it, which is really strange. If you, it is on video, you could hear him say this in the speech. Next thing he knew he was being called from his agents that they had let him go. They thought that he was going to be difficult. And he, it, it was stunning to him because it, as I said, it wasn't unsolicited. He didn't just go there to say, I need to talk to you about this. They invited to speak with him and was curious about what he thought of the character. And actually was, were talking about how wonderful he was doing in the role. And they found, and then and his agents even said, this is what he said at the commencement, his agents said at the time, it's, it's going to be tough for you to get a job for a while because people are going, got the impression now that you're, you're difficult. And it's just odd that that would have happened. I, I didn't know the inside story until I heard that. And I was like, oh, that's outrageous. I never would have imagined something like that happening on the show. And he was fantastic. And we had these, this one scene. So we had several scenes together in those weeks because I worked opposite him in the hospital. And it was a scene where he grabbed Finola and he was holding him by knife point. And both Finola and I, after scenes, he was like, he's good. He's really good. I said, yeah, he's excellent, really talented. And the next thing he knew, he was gone. Um, so that was strange. That was strange. Um, yeah. yeah. And also, I don't know if you know, like Amanda Seyfried was on the show.
0: I didn't know that. No.
1: She was on the show at the same <laughs> time as, as Levin, Levin Ramblin. She was on the show and she, I want, I think she won an Emmy. she was playing um, Jackson's uh, daughter with autism. That was Levin. And yeah, she was fantastic. Um, it, it was so many, everybody was on the show at the same time. Abigail Spencer was on the show um, at that same time. They, yeah, I mean, Judy Wilson, was brilliant as a casting director I and mean, mm-hmm. really was for that show there were so many so many talented young actors that came on that show at that time yeah they were all there meant to it. It was awesome. at that time she was wonderful She's such a sweetheart really good young lady so didn't sarah michelle
0: geller cool. started on all my children too or was that was, and beautiful was that sarah michelle geller she got started on a soap too yes
1: she was on it before i was on it she was okay. on it when i was on guiding light and okay. i knew her back then too because we both were taking singing lessons from the same sing- singing teacher, Sarah Michelle. Oh, that's, and
3: well,
0: she that's, would always
1: be there. She'd be at the singing lessons with her mother because she was young. She was a teenager at the time. I
0: didn't know that she sang. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that you sang either until I found it on YouTube.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. I did it for years. I studied and, um, yeah, sang with the Orchestra de Lyon in Lyon, France, and um, did some cabarets. I, I produced a cabaret with uh, Bobby Eakes and Walt Willie, um we did something together and we also did it at uh bb kings we did it at some casinos and stuff and yeah we had a great time it was a lot of fun so yeah it's cool
0: you have a great voice
1: well Sorry. thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'm a little tired of right now but thanks <laughs>
2: If it was up to you would you reboot all my children or would you go to general Hospital
1: um, that's a that's an interesting question I, I think for the fans for the audience I think it would be great if they were able to reboot all my children I think they would especially um, appreciate that and I think and one of the major reasons is for, at the very least there was never any closure during right. that uh-huh. story and I mean, remember, we did it for 40 years, and we were supposed to finish the show for ABC. But then Prospect Park came, and they said they wanted to continue the show online for iTunes and Hulu. We had an ending, okay? Um, the, the, the head writer at the time um, had a final script for the show, and they trashed it when Prospect Park came they decided that Lorraine Broderick was the head writer. They decided that they needed her to write beyond that, obviously, to continue the story. And that's what she did. And that's when we went online to do it. And then when online, we were, we were shooting in May. And that's when we were told that we were going to go on hiatus for five weeks um, because they were going to catch up on some writing. They had to write more scripts and everything. Fine, but that's when everything was actually erupting with ABC and the lawsuit was developing. Mm. And we were being told then, like after five weeks, like every two weeks, every three weeks, we're coming back in like three weeks, come back in three weeks, so trust me, come back. This went all the way till November from May. And then we got the call that it was not coming back in November. So we had no closure. There was no storyline, no finality to the story that people have been watching for 40 plus years. So that was upsetting. That was upsetting. So I think the audience would love to a continuation, and then if it ever goes off the air, that they have a true ending to the story.
3: Right. So yeah. that
1: they can close that, that photo album <laughs> for good and give it a kiss by Agnes Nixon. That's all. You know, um, I think that would be great. Um, but in the absence of that, I would love to go back on, on uh, go back to work and continue to develop the character of David Hayward. I love that character. He was a fantastic character. And, I, and I'd love to see, you know, how if they did do it, how they would write it and hopefully how show the, the growth of the character as well and the maturity in the absence of all these years and mm-hmm. that the audience hasn't seen him, see what kind of a person he's developed into. That would be cool. So anyway, you never know. So.
3: Hmm. I
0: have it written in my head. I was <laughs> going to say, we need card. Are I you know. do. <laughs> well, okay. So I never watched all my children. So all I know is from what I was able to watch on YouTube. But at one point, David Hayward was doing something with memories. Like he kept talking about something with memories.
1: Something with <laughs> memories. One of the drugs.
0: They one used. of the drugs he was doing had something to do with like it would take away yeah. memories or something like that.
1: Right. Oh, right, right. I mean, he was, he, he did dabble in pharmaceutical research. Well, year.
0: we could really <laughs> so use that a
1: lot. Yes. I mean, we all can. And, you know, that, <laughs> we not came not up with libido Zone.
3: Um,
1: if I remember correctly, maybe it has something to do with the story with Maria, when Maria came back on the show and that she, because she had, she had amnesia at the time, yes. if I remember correctly. Um, yes. And it was interesting because you also brought up in the podcast that. I didn't know who she was and right. wasn't aware of that. She was, um, Marie Gray, Maria Gray, whatever character, they were, I think it was Marie Gray mm-hmm. and that she was Edmund's wife at one time. I didn't know that. And I remember, cause they, that's the way they wrote it. And I remember saying to the executive producer at the time, haven't I seen her picture at gray matters <laughs> somewhere in the last few years? You don't pay, you didn't pay attention to it. You just walked past. I'm like, that picture is pretty obvious. I mean, it's like a picture of her. Right. This beautiful woman that right there in front of you. You didn't notice. I'm like, I think David would have noticed. Well, for the sake of the story, you didn't notice. I'm like, okay. So It's one of those moments where they like have you suspend your own sense of reality for the sake of the story. I'm like, okay. I have pictures all over the place. and right. Probably probably exactly. even in the bathroom, there was a picture of her. There. You're, you're isolated in the bathroom with a picture of Maria, right of you, but you don't notice her. So, yeah. <laughs> right. And she's a, she's, the she's, Eva Leroux is a Mary pretty can. striking woman. I don't think I would miss a picture of her. Right. So. right. Yeah. And, yeah. But
0: there was a situation, well, there's still kind of the residual effects, but a couple years ago, there was a whole storyline where this doctor was doing a double a double blind study with twins and swapping their memories. So guess who was involved in that? Anna and Alex.
3: Oh, Okay. So
0: wouldn't it have been great if you were the doctor who was helping this other doctor that we know was involved, but
1: like yeah. you were
0: the one who was behind it all.
1: That's interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know. I only get little excerpts of General Hospital and, and it's oftentimes on, like, on, uh, on Instagram or, or uh, you know, Twitter or something where a fan will place a few scenes or here and there. Yeah. So I didn't know that about the story, but that, that would have been interesting.
0: Because now um, Anna has a son, even though we are we're convinced no. it's Alex's son, because Anna really. doesn't remember having him. But then Anna never talks about Liora, so that would explain why she didn't. Yeah. Because you would have removed that memory because it was so painful. Yes. Yes.
1: Well, I do know. I I, I do remember. Uh, this was a few years ago. Where and so and whenever anything that comes close to the story with David on GH happens uh, fans write to me throughout the whole time this happened today and they write it on twitter it's like an open thing it's not like a dm or anything and one time i guess they did mention david and leora um on the show this is, but there's a few years ago that this was this had happened so um yeah that was the only time that i remembered that they said that because all these fans were like they just mentioned david hayward on general hospital and leora you know so they were very excited about it but obviously it was just a story point having to do with what was happening with her at the time. So, but yeah. she has a son now.
0: Supposedly. Son, but it
1: may not be hers. It may be Alice's. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because she doesn't remember that's ever having funny. him. So.
1: Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, that was interesting with the stories on there. And, um, I remember the story with with me and Erica, with Susan Lucci, where her face got uh, ripped off in a car accident in a blizzard (laughs) that we had together. I was driving her and we were fighting. It was a blizzard and we didn't see the truck that was stopped in the middle of the road because of the blizzard. And it was beautifully shot. Um, uh, Connell O'Brien did a fantastic job um, shooting it. And they shot it in a film look where you remove, like, a, a, a frame from every, like, uh, I don't know, like a few seconds. so it gives a sense of like it looks like a film and it was beautifully shot. Um, but in that scene that uh, some legs were sticking out from the back of a truck, went through the window, ripped off Erica's face. entire her face so she was you know the Phantom of the Opera on the show for a few months with the mask, half mask and everything. And I brought her to Brazil to have her face restored. And it was through um, Dr. Fashionella, who was a Brazilian doctor. And <laughs> so we always thought that was funny. His oh. name was Dr. Fashionella, to refashion her face. <laughs> um, <laughs> we thought that was really funny. It was like, yeah, you had a name Dr. Fashionella. Yeah. So anyway, but it's funny when you have these stories on these shows. They're they're entertaining. They're exciting. It was great. So
0: I have definitely talked way too
1: much.
2: <laughs> mm.
1: Feel free. Ask questions, (laughs) questions. Ask away. Go ahead. Amanda, do you have something you want to ask?
2: I I don't. I don't know. I'm a little starstruck because I did watch all my children. (laughs) So I was very excited whenever you said you would talk to us.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. That's great. And Shannon, hopefully now you'll catch up to all the shows of 40 years I from this point on.
0: (laughs) I I want to though. That's the thing. I'm like, it was really good.
1: Yeah, we, it, it was great. We had a wonderful cast. I, I loved, I was only supposed to be on the show for three months. It was a three month role basically. And it was um, I was hired and um, I was still living in, in um, at the time I was living in Los Angeles and my daughter, Aria was just born. It just worked out. My manager contacted me and said, is there any chance that you might be able to be in New York? Cause all my children would like to meet with you. And it just happened that weekend. we were having my daughter's baptism in on Long Island with my family. I said, I'll just stay another day or two. I can see them on Monday. And absolutely. So I went in to meet with them and um Gene burke who was the executive producer at the time, and Judy Wilson. and Talked for like 45 minutes. I had a great talk with them. And at the end of it, they offered me the role. I didn't have to audition anything. They just said, we really would like you to do. Can you do this for three months? I said, yeah, I'll make it work and it turned into a 12 year, 13 year character. And it was just, yeah, it was a great role. We saw the potential of it immediately. So that's why they extended the character. And actually I turned down the first offer because I had made a promise to my daughter Sienna who was now living in Los Angeles at the time. She and I were going back and forth because when I was on Guiding Light, she was flying back like every month and a half with a nanny to see me for two weeks. And I was flying to see her like two times, sometimes in the interim. And I moved to Los Angeles to be close to her. I lived a block away from where she lived. And when I first told her I was doing the job in New York, she got panicked because she equated it with separation. And I promised her at the time, I said, I, I I'm not. this is not a long-term job. It's just for three months. I promise I'll be back. And I said, you can come visit me and we can hang out and enjoy ourselves in New York again, as we did in the past. <clears throat> so when they offered me, after before the end of three months, they wanted to do a long-term contract with me. And at first, of course, I was tempted. I had a newborn baby and didn't have a job to go back to. Um, they were offering me good money, and it was a steady job again. And um, for a week, I was negotiating with them, with my agents. And then I contacted, I went, I contacted um, uh, Jean Dadari-Burke and said, I got to talk with you, went and met with her in an office, and I told her I, I can't take the job. She so said, why? And I said, because I promised my daughter. I, told, I promised her I wasn't going to be doing this job for long term and she says is there anything we can do to make it happen and I said I can't imagine anything I can't do it my agents are calling me and They're like what are you doing you're turning down this job I'm like I promised my daughter I can't do it I cannot do it so five months went by and Judy Wilson called me after five months and she said she says what can we do to make this work and I said I don't know I don't I'm here. Oh, before that though, I went back to LA and I sat my daughter down and I told her, I said, I want you to know that this had happened, but I made a promise to you. And I wanted to keep that promise. But I then told her, I said, but I can't make that promise to you all the time. I said, I did make it. So I want to honor it. But there are jobs that come up sometimes that I might be in Vancouver or Miami or Chicago or New York. And I can't keep turning down jobs, but because I promised you I decided this is what I'm gonna do. So Judy Wilson calls five months later and she's like, what can we do to make it work? I don't know. Um, my ex-wife, Sydney Coleman, was also living here with my daughter in Los Angeles, um, a block away. And she's like, would she be interested in doing an Indian show in New York? I said, I'm sure she would. I didn't know if I wanted it to be my show. <laughs> <laughs> not an easy thing to do when you work with your ex-wife. No, not, not the best environment. So she she said, let me get back to you. And at that time, Guiding Light was casting. Um, Cynthia Wattress had left the show and they were bringing somebody on that was supposed to be a double of her or something. So Judy Wilson talked to Guiding Light and they said, we'd love to see her on tape. So they taped her in Los Angeles, liked her audition, flew it to New York and did a screen test with her and she got the part in New York. That works. So it was like, It was like, it felt like, you know, Judy Wilson and God moved heaven and earth to make this happen. I went to New York to go start on All My Children. My ex-wife, Sydney, and my daughter, Sienna, moved to New York a week later. And we all lived in New York and worked on different shows and worked out. And then the character, like I said, was 12, 13 years working on the show. So it was crazy. So I I kind of felt like it was meant to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was pretty amazing. It was a great run. I loved the story, loved the character. And of course I'd love to resurrect him again. It would be wonderful. So anyway.
2: Who's been your favorite character that you've done?
1: That's a tough question. David would certainly be up there. Um, And also my first one was Lou Jack on Guiding Light. And that character was, was extraordinary. I loved that character. And I think also because of the time of my life, I started working as Lou Jack at 23 years old. And I felt that Lujak was closest to my personality and my nature. So I really identified with lucek a lot. And it was my first foray into television. I had been doing theater for six years before. That was the first job. And that was only supposed to be a three-day job, too. And that... Character just exploded. It became kind of like a phenomenon in my life, and I—it was the foundation of my entire professional career in television, frankly. So uh, Lou Jack absolutely would be one of my favorite. David Hayward and I love Damos on on Days of Our Lives. Damos had a lot of potential as well, um, and you know I think it's basically it starts with the 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 backstory of a character, you know, and if the backstory of the character is strong, is solid, something where an actor could really like sink their teeth into it, that is, that's a great foundation to start from and to build mm-hmm. from. And I felt with Lou Jack, with David Hayward, and with Deimos, all of those backstories of who they were, where they came from, why they are the person that they are today, that was fantastic. And I loved playing those characters. Um, you know, I mean, every character is great though. I love, anytime I get to work, it's wonderful. You know um i just i shot a western recently which was interesting and i attribute that to um my my uh pandemic look which you can see you know, <laughs> my long hair and my beard and mustache and i said to my girlfriend yvonne recently like a few months ago i was like i did i for seven months i didn't cut my hair because i can't get my hair cut here so and right. i did recently like a month ago a little a month ago but i've kept it long because of this i might be going back to do this it's a new series and um, I said to her, like, a month before I got this role, I said, you know, I think I, think I could do a Western now. Because <laughs> of the look I had. I mean, I had this beard, mustache, and the long hair. And my first audition I had a month later was for a Western. And I got, I got the part, you know. My first audition was a FaceTime with the casting director. They recorded it, showed the producers. Then they had me come into um, the production office in Burbank and read for them there, and I got the part. And it was my first Western, and I'm like, this is work, this look works, it's good. <laughs> I'm trying to make the best of it, you know? It's an easy thing, it's just like anything, it's an accessory, I can shave it off in a minute, and cut my hair, short, up, whatever. But that's, you know, that's the fun part about being an actor, so. Yeah.
0: I think there's a lot of uh, grace with stuff like that right now, too, because after like the cast of GH came back, so many of them had longer hair, and they didn't care about continuity at all. No, It really? was just like... Yeah, I mean, it at least a handful of characters were just like, their hair's longer, different colors, everything. They just yeah moved on.
1: That's interesting. That's you interesting. Know? So one day, it was one way, and then literally the next episode was a totally different way.
0: Well, I mean, it was in May, because in May was the last new episode we had until August. Right. So we did have three months. It was just, yes, if you were to watch it two in a row, it would right. go from like one of the characters would have short hair to pretty long. Right.
1: So funny. It's so funny. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, everybody, we all had our physical changes during this time. Um, yes. So, and some of that pandemic poundage that they've added too. I mean,
0: I was just thinking, yeah, <laughs> by the COVID 19. Um, <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. Nobody realized that 19 was in pounds. That's all. Right, right, right. So. <laughs> so, you but, mentioned um, that
0: you got your start with um, theater and everything. Do yes. you do a lot of that, or what kind of theater did you do?
1: I did a lot of theater um, for those six years. I started actually at Berkeley College of Music, was my first theater um, production. And it, and it was, there was a, a, an English teacher that was there that had a theater company that started a theater company at Berkeley. His name was um, Larry Brenner. And we know him as Bren. Um, he uh, started the theater company and he, he and I became friends. He was like a post beat poet and I was writing poetry and I was giving him some of my poetry at the time. And we became friends. We'd go and have beers and hang out and go and have lunch together. The class great guy. And I still communicate with him, actually. Um, and he asked me one day if I'd ever thought about acting. And I was like, you know what? I've always had a natural curiosity about it. Um, i always, have always loved film. Um, my brother and I grew up watching the late show and the late, late show when my parents were asleep. And we'd sneak downstairs till four in the morning with our face right up to this TV because we didn't want the volume too loud. And. Watched Jimmy Cagney movies and you know Cary Graham movies and you know anything that was happening at that time. Um, so he asked me and I, I said, "Yeah, I would love to. I'd, I'd love to, you know, try it sometime." And he had this play that he was going to be directing that was the three-person play. It's called Jean, It was a Jean Genet play called Death Watch. And he said, "This is a great role for you." And um, I went home for a Christmas break with the play, and I didn't even know how to approach it. I just basically was upstairs in my bedroom at home acting out every role you know in the play out loud and my parents thought I was like having a breakdown because it was a very (laughs) intense dramatic play it was very intense and my character was probably the most intense of everybody I went back and auditioned for it and I got the part and I just fell in love with the process of of acting of breathing life into the words of the character um, that was written and I was rehearsing myself doing the same exact thing on the rooftop in Boston on the corner of Boylston and Mass Ave. There was a bank there. And from the dormitories, you can climb out a window and go onto the roof of the bank. And I was acting out every day by myself, rehearsing, doing the exact same thing, acting out the whole play and up there, out loud for all of the city. And there were people in apartments across the street that could see me. They must look, I must look like a mad person up there. <laughs> but um I fell in love with it. And I think the reason why more than anything was that at that time studying piano, I was oftentimes in a piano room, practice room, the size of the piano and myself and for like four hours, five hours, sometimes six hours. And I started becoming very introverted and very kind of cut off socially. And I I was becoming more and more so. And with acting, it became, it was like, for me, um, it was kind of an epiphany for me. And it was cathartic that I found that I can open up myself emotionally, like completely open myself emotionally in front of a group of people for the first time like that, on that level, especially with this character. This character was intense as a major breakdown. of murders somebody on the stage and the whole thing. It's crazy. And I fell in love with the process. I just loved it. And it just sort of like opened me up. I started then... Auditioning for other plays around Boston and, and getting them, did other plays with my teacher also throughout the times I was at school. And I started just working a lot as an actor and then I decided that I was going to pursue that uh, more and went to New York. And my first audition in New York was, a, was, um, was an eye opener because in Boston, if I went in for an audition, I always felt like I could get it because i go and maybe there'd be like seven people up for the same role. My first audition was an open call through a backstage for an industrial film where they were looking for somebody that was 19 to 21 years of age. And I remember this is like um, shy, but courageous. Okay. I was handsome, shy, but courageous. I'm like, handsome and subjective, you know, but I can be shy and courageous and I'm 19 to 21. I was around that age. So I went to the audition, took the subway, got off the subway, turned the corner and the whole block was filled.
3: With oh, no.
1: Hundreds, hundreds of actors that all looked, like 19 to 20, handsome, shy, but courageous. (laughs) And I was stunned. And it took like two hours to get through the line to get in front of them. And I gave a terrible, terrible audition because I was so thrown off by it. So I realized the stakes were much higher in New York and different. So I had to really basically just become very, very disciplined and focused and more driven. And that's, I was doing theater at 13th Street Theater for for a couple of years and I was actually living there on the dressing room floor for about six months with a roll up and a mat And that night. I would, and I was working lights for some of the shows and doing stuff, but I was in the dressing room every night. I'd just roll out a mat and go to sleep and wake up. My whole life was about acting at the time. So that's what I was doing, you know, just immersing myself entirely there. And I was occasionally working at the restaurants in Greenwich Village, like the Riviera Cafe. I worked there as a, a, a waiter for a while. And when I was doing plays, I would go on leave. I didn't want to be working at the same time I was focusing on a play. So I would go to the back door of the kitchen sometimes and ask the cook to give me like a burger or something. They would always sneak me a burger. it was crazy. So yeah, that was it. But I did a lot of theater in New York and I worked at the public theater, did a play there with Joseph Papp, um, uh, Des Mackinoff, who went off to become the artistic director at the La Jolla Playhouse years later. Uh, created shows like tommy for broadway and also jersey boys um this all started at um la jolla playhouse with des mackinoff and a lot of other ones as well huckleberry finn he did as well but he did a play called the death of on rick that he wrote and it was a musical um that i was in the ensemble dancing and everything and while i was doing it i got one of the leads playing paul mccartney in a play about john lennon called (laughs) lennon two years after his death and i played What?
0: I have a Beatles basement. Oh my gosh! <laughs> look at this.
1: Happy like, road. Oh Old my! El- no, but I mean, like the, the whole El- way around, it's,
0: it's all Beatles. Okay, so you all played right. Paul McCartney.
1: Mm-hmm. I played Paul McCartney. It was two years after the death of John Lennon.
0: Oh my goodness! And
1: I got cast in that. Mitch Weissman was the musical director, and he had played Paul McCartney in *Beatlemania*. He's the one that yes. looked like Paul McCartney. And he played left-handed um, uh, bass, Rickenbacker bass. Um, and he was, the, he was the musical director. I went up initially for John Lennon to play John Lennon. And I, I went and played guitar, played piano, sang. They loved my audition. They said they want me to come in and read for them as Paul McCartney. I said, sure. So I went and did that. And it was between me and one other person. And they said, you have to go to um, Mitch's um, apartment, Upper West Side. He wants to meet with you and this other guy. And he just wants to have you guys play bass. And now just understand this. I never played bass before I did this play. Okay, never played bass. I was self-taught on guitar. So I was mostly a rhythm guitarist, but I knew scales and I knew some riffs and stuff and um and i studied piano so i went to school for piano and that was i was trained in that but when i went there um i went in and i was hanging out in his in a living room that he had listening to the other actor that had gone there before me and listening to him play bass and he was playing great okay and he comes walking out but he's got blonde hair and he's like and i'm going well, oh, his look isn't good but he plays bass you know so i go into the room and I sit down, actually on his bed, sitting on his bed with the bass. And we're just talking, having a conversation. And all I'm doing is playing like scales while we're talking, just hanging out and just playing on the bass and doing things up and down, and down. for about 10 minutes, not one song. And playing, it. just play riffs and stuff that I knew on my guitar. And after 10 minutes, he start, he just looks at me and goes, I'm putting my vote in for you. You got great mobility in the bass. You got it. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. How many songs are in this? And he says, oh, it's about 40, around 40 songs. I'm like, 40 and everything's live. Everything's live. We're not doing any recordings of anything. So everything's live and go, oh, 40 songs. I literally walked out of that audition, went downstairs and I stood there on the steps of his brownstone where his apartment was on the upper west side. I looked up to the heavens and I was like, I pull this off. It's going to be an effing miracle. (laughs) And I walked off and I said, I literally called my Uncle John, who's only about a year and a half older than me. And actually my Uncle John, who's like a third brother to me um he's the father of lauren who i told you about earlier that passed away a few months ago i called him because he started he was first a bass player for many years then he went to guitar and he's still to this day he still performs he's a great guitarist and bass player musician and i called him and i said johnny can you help me learn these songs for just play lennon and he's like yeah i'll come after work and we'd like take the songs off the records that's all we we literally had the records and i knew the song list now so he would come up and we'd spend like hours him taking the bass line off of the songs, off of the record, and teaching to me. them to mm-hmm. me. I was playing bass like 12 to 15 hours a day, every day, learning these songs, okay? So much so that every morning my hands were so stiff that I'd have to massage them under hot water and I'd oh, hear them cracking my knuckles, with the whole thing. In two weeks, I learned every one of those 40 songs because we started rehearsals. So the first rehearsal I went in, I knew every song by heart. We get to the end of our, we're going into previews for the first day. And in the interim, by the way, George Martin, who I'm sure you know who George Martin is. His son, Greg Martin was playing Ringo in the play. So George Martin came to one of our rehearsals and hung out with us and was showing us how to get certain sounds out of our instruments.
0: How did yeah, you no, even function? I mean, that's. I like-
1: was like blown away. I mean, I grew up, please understand something. I'm old enough that I was living in Queens when the Beatles came to play at Shea Stadium, at, when they came to play at uh, the Ed Sullivan Show. I remember when they landed at JFK in the winter, and my mother, thought we were at Macy's, and my mother bought me a record, bought, she bought me Meet the Beatles. I was like five years old at the time. Bombing yeah. oh, I mean, meet the Beatles and it only lasted for a week because while she was cleaning the house one day, she put the album with the cover on a radiator and it came home and the thing was melted. I was like,
3: bye, Beatles album.
1: But anyway, so I grew up with the Beatles. They were they were like I remember buying the single, um, you know, Hello Goodbye and others as well growing up and I was just like a Beatles fanatic. So George Martin shows up to the rehearsal and I'm like in awe of the guy and he's showing us these sounds and he's so elegant and he's like, you know, dressed mm-hmm. just beautifully and um And he was answering questions of us at at one point. We all sat down and I asked him, I said, I've read so many books now about the Beatles, about their history, the biographies about them, but there are some that contradict each other about certain periods and things that happened historically. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, want to know something? He said, there's not one that's completely accurate. And he said, I'll never forget this. And that makes me wonder, question, that if we can't get history right in 15 years, how are we to trust the history of antiquity you know that there and i thought about them like he's right i mean it was about 15 years at the time when we were doing the play the play was 1982 you know so we're talking about a 15 20 year period and not one of them was accurate um so anyway the first performance that we had in front of a live audience the preview i um I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm about to do this play, and I never played bass before, and I pulled Mitch Weissman aside and I said, I want to tell you a story. <laughs> I told him when I came to your house, I had never played bass before. I'd never played bass. And he's like, are you kidding me? I said, no, I learned it all in two weeks because we started rehearsals two weeks later when you gave me the song list. And I'm like, I'm just sharing that with you. And I, like, literally looked up, and I was like, thank you, thank you. And it was an amazing experience, loved it. And Sid Bernstein had produced the play. Sid Bernstein produced the Shea Stadium concert, I believe mm-hmm. it was that, or the Carnegie Hall concert, I can't remember. He saw the play in Liverpool and he brought it to New York and mm-hmm. I was cast, Robert Lapone was, pl- and also uh, David Patrick Kelly played John Lennon. David okay. Patrick Kelly played him in the Hamburg years and the older years of Robert LuPone. Um Yeah, it was a great cast. Bill Sadler was in it. I'm trying to remember others. Oh, Catherine Barowitz. Um, she. Uh, she was John Turturro's um, uh, wife. Um, she was in it. Um, yeah, it was. It was great. It was really amazing. Um, that was a great experience doing that. So yeah, that was my Beatles. Um, my tribute to John Lennon. And it was an amazing show. We were we had standing ovation every single night. The audience loved it. We did it at a theater that's no longer there. It's now a Cineplex on 11th Street and 2nd Avenue. It was uh, an old Yiddish theater. It was beautiful, 1200-seat house. Um, and we were going to take it to Broadway, but then Sid Bernstein had miscalculated and felt because it was a play about John Lennon, he didn't have to do any advertising. And in time, people were like, oh, I didn't even know the play was even still on. I'm not seeing anything about it. And then we lost the audience because it wasn't being advertised. And then it was too late to bring it back. Um, so we had to end the show, unfortunately. It was what it was. To bring it back. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was an amazing show. It really was very, very special. Loved it, loved it. So anyway, cool. you
0: think I could find it on YouTube?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it was, it was never recorded. I have actually a cassette recording of one of our, of our rehearsals that was recorded through the soundboard. So it's a good sound. I haven't listened to it in probably like 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I have it somewhere. I do have it somewhere. I think Mitch, Mitch Weissman gave it to me, which is pretty cool. So I, maybe one of these days I'll have it transferred over to a, a flash drive or something like that. So I can put it on my computer and we could listen to the sounds of it. It was fun. It was a really fun show, so. Yeah.
0: What was your favorite song to play?
1: Um, You know, um, in the show, one of my favorite moments was, It was during the Let It Be sessions and when John and Paul um, got into an argument and and John walked out with Yoko, I walked up to the grand piano on stage by myself. It was empty stage and I woke up and I played Golden Slumbers on the piano and sang You never gave me your money, you only gave me your money, baby, Mm -hmm. so that was fun. I mean, do I have a favorite song? I mean, you know, A Day in the Life, I love A Day in the Life, but I there's so many Beatles songs like in the play that was back. your favorite moment yeah that was a, that was a fun moment because it was a solo moment me playing on the piano and singing a beautiful song and mm-hmm. um yeah that was great that was a fun moment in the play for me you know so yeah and it was all you know any and doing all the early stuff and you know doing all the shaking the head thing and, mm-hmm. you know talking like Paul McCartney with Sounds like it's a head cold all the time, you know, <laughs> like that. I haven't done it in a while. I was actually better with John talking like that because it's got like that nasally voice, you know, bloody hell. Like that. that was
0: really good.
1: Yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, but it's, I, I'm a little out of practice and I've been talking for over an hour, so my voice is a little tired right now. So, but anyway, anyway, so. Sorry,
0: I anyway. totally took us down a
1: rabbit <laughs> hole. <laughs> what was that?
0: I said, I'm sorry, I totally took us down a rabbit hole. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic play. I had a great time. But it's been a long time. I haven't done a lot of theater. I did a play with um, Walt Willie. He invited me to come he has he, had, he was every summer he would do a play in his town his hometown in in, um, in Illinois. And he would bring like an actor from the show occasionally here and there. And he asked if I would do Harvey with him to play Harvey that was the Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. play and he played Harvey. Um, he directed it, and th- I did that with him, and that was a lot of fun. I had a great time. I had a great time. We did it for a few weeks. Yeah, and I did a play, Sherilyn um, Walter, who used to be on, um, on General Hospital many years ago. She lives in Hawaii now, and she asked me years ago if I would come to Hawaii and do an adaptation of a Mark Twain. Uh, it was like two short stories he did about the, um, the diaries of Adam and the diaries of Eve, Adam and Eve. And she had combined the two or a writer had combined the two as an adaptation of the diary of Adam and Eve. And it was a two person play. And she asked if I would come to Hawaii to uh, Oahu and perform that for two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Hawaii. You had me at Hawaii. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I went there and did that with her and that, that went great as well. It was just, and we did it at different locations around Oahu for the two weeks that we did it. We went and rehearsed a week and then put it together. So I love stuff like that. I love being able to go and do some live performance. And I have, I have a great time doing that. That's a lot of fun because it's immediate. You're there with the audience and you're going through it exactly at the same time as them. And the reaction is exactly in the same time. It's different from when I first started working in television after doing six years of theater, you're working in your own little black hole there, you know? and You don't know how it's playing until the audience sees it weeks later, sometimes months later. Days of Our Lives was six months later. So you just don't know how things are playing. It's different and you get the immediacy when you do the personal appearances and you get to meet people face-to-face and hear what their favorite stories are and what's going on. But it's very different from theater. Theater is happening right then. You know it, you know? You know, it's funny. I'm gonna end this with one fun story that Eileen Hurley, do do you know Eileen Hurley was on the show? played yeah. Myrtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She played Myrtle in the show. And, you know, we, we were very fortunate to have someone like Eileen, who was a grand dame of, of theater. Speaking of theater, she worked with, you know, Laurence Olivier, with Richard Burton, with um, Peter O'Toole. She, did, she really was a grand dame. She did Hamlet in the 40s with Laurence Olivier, directed by, she was directed by Gielgud, she played Hamlet's mother in the 40s when she was in her 20s. And then she played Hamlet's mother again with Richard Burton on stage in the 60s. Oh, that was the one that was directed by Gilbert. And so it, it, she's an amazing woman. And she shared this. I, I love old stories of theater. And she told me this story one day, all of our sitting on set. Um, I was asking about at the theater. Ask her theater, and I asked if it any fun story. She said, you know, I was doing a play on Broadway with Peter O'Toole and Richard Harris. And now... Everybody knows that Peter O'Toole and Richard Harris were, very, they were known for their drinking escapades, okay, escapades. They were, they would drink like, like crazy, all right. And she said that one day we did a matinee performance and in between the matinee and the evening performance, the two of them went out and got very drunk. So they go on stage for the evening performance and she's on stage with, um, with uh, Peter O'Toole. And he's kind of stumbling his lines a little bit. He's, he's waving a little bit. And he walks down to the proscenium, the front of the stage, and he trips. He falls face first towards the audience. And he like looks up at this woman who's sitting in the front row. And he's like, hello, madam. And she like, looks at him, and she probably could smell it. She goes, she says loudly, she goes, oh, my God, he's drunk. And he says, madam, if you think I'm drunk, wait till you see Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was like, what a great story. I love stories (laughs) like that, you know? Then we had like Ruth Warwick on the show who was the last living uh, member of the Mercury Theater who did um, Citizen Kane with, um, with everybody there. And yeah, I mean, we had some amazing people on that show. It was pretty extraordinary. Working with people like David Canary every day who was a master. And just a wonderful salt of the earth type of person. Yeah, a lot of so many, so many wonderful people, and Susan certainly. Um, you know, James Mitchell, also. You know, so many people were just fantastic people to work on a show with, and I'm grateful for the time that I had the opportunity to do it. Especially since it was only supposed to be th- for three months. So,
3: right.
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: So, anyway, all right, guys. I think that's good, right? you good? good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much this for your time. This was great. <laughs> <Don't forget laughs> What you like watch it you'll put it on as a podcast it's like 15 minutes it's like oh No, no. It's it'll be too longer much. don't worry <laughs> <laughs> it's funny is there so, anything
0: so you mentioned the western like is that ready to be announced like do you have a name
1: or a release you know theater, i, I did announce it once and i and i was told that they asked me not to say it yet because okay. they're not advertising it They're still totally fine. It's, a, it's a series and it's going to be out sometime in the beginning of the year okay. um but it was a it was a great experience and it's a Character. The characters are real people from the Wild West. It's about okay. and my character was was great. I had a great time doing it. It's very topical. It's a very interesting story. The story. So maybe when it happens, I'll be happy to come back and talk with yeah. you guys about it. If and
0: we'll there. keep our okay. eyes open for it. But yeah. thank you so much okay. for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Amanda. It was a blessing. I appreciate it so much. Likewise. Thank
0: you.
2: Thank you. Bye thank you. bye. Bye-bye. Okay. I love him. <laughs> Now you're going to go back to all my children and I can't get, he said, I have to work up 40, 41 years. I have to catch up. He did. I tried watching him in the other soaps and I know he listed his other characters that he loves, but I just loved the, all my children, David character. You have to see him when he was dating Erica Kane. Like he. He hung out with all those girls. Like, yeah. There was quite an age span there that he was being friendly with. So. Cool. And so, oh, we should have talked about it when we were
0: talking about Rebecca Budding because he was with her right? Right. on All My Children. Mm-hmm. So if she came back to GH and he came over to GH, but she came back as Hayden, it'd be like that whole Silas Clay thing again with the, you look really familiar.
2: <laughs> but I can't place it.
0: Yeah. I don't but think you're a vampire. Think though. about this. Okay. Think about this. It's couple swapping, yeah. Because David and Anna, Finn and Anna, Finn and oh right, Hayden, Finn and there yeah. you go. Yep. So it's okay. and then I mean it was David and Greenly, but right. Still, they've all kissed each other. Right. <laughs> well, they... <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> they
2: would. They would work it out. We would be okay with that. I really think he should come to GH. Now. I do. Your storyline like makes sense. Yeah, it
0: does. your storyline makes sense, and he would have removed that memory because it was so painful for Anna to remember. Yeah, and that's why we've never
2: I'm we don't you. talk
0: about Leora. Yeah, I kind of like that name though. No, it's, it's a little too different. It's different
2: enough that it's not weird, though. It's the same thing as like Liara. Yeah. Okay. We all know my kids' <laughs> names are so traditional. There's a hundred of them in every classroom, so I just don't do different names so i did think it was interesting that his real life daughter is aria because i had never heard that name until everyone started naming their kid that from um what's the tv show that everybody loves with the dragons i don't know oh my god it's like the most popular show it just ended like a couple months ago a year ago on you know Game of Thrones <laughs> thank you <laughs> like with the dragons yes Game of Thrones okay there's already on mind.
0: That. <laughs> I'm thinking okay here's where I'm thinking though you don't know adult shows oh, oh no, so no I'm no. thinking yeah, you are talking about a cartoon know. show with Madeline who's mm. seven and
2: I'm like my baby is 17 <laughs> it's been quite some time there's so not no, no. to know a cartoon no if it was the cartoon name I would have known it like that that's, that's why problem. I was like I don't know Amanda yeah like, what is it There you go. Game of Thrones. There's Arya. Never watched it. Oh, is there? So, yes. Okay. And that's why the kids Madeline's age are named Arya is because of that. True. Oh, like, hmm. A little younger than her. Interesting. Yeah. So. Well, she is not that age. No. No, she's not that age. I did love that as much as he loved talking about his characters, that his face lit up the most when he was talking about his kids. Oh, yeah. He's such a proud dad. So cute. Which is also funny because they talked in All My Children about... Whenever Anna was pregnant, him being excited that that was going to be his kid, and in one of his other roles that I watched, they were revealing that so and so said it wasn't his kid, but it was, and he was like, "Oh, I'm so excited!" And I was like, "Wow, you're really happy to have these babies everywhere." So maybe he was able. Well, we should. I don't
0: want to ask him. We we should have or whatever. But I wonder if he had found out that he was going to become a father because
2: matching this time, the way that
0: he was talking about their ages could have matched up. Kind of. Oh my gosh, that would have made it even so much harder. To be going through the all my children's storyline then if you right. were. So I'm going to hope that it was after. Yeah. Like a year. Yeah. So he could have just channeled. I remember how excited I was to find out I was a dad. Well, he
2: said that the one was a newborn when they were offering him to extend. <gasps> That's his contract. right. Yeah. So that would have been an, like a couple years later before the storyline with Anna. Yes. Yeah, so he should have been okay. I did look up originally how old his kids were. No, I don't know it. But That's anyway, okay. no, that was just a wonderful interview. He's so it nice. Was fantastic. And
0: if you're, well, obviously you're a General Hospital fan if you're listening to this podcast, since it's a General Hospital fan <laughs> podcast. Um, that was also our first non GH yeah. interview. It went really well too. It did. I go. mean, we kind of veered off with Anna on All My Children, but I love, being able to talk to him about it, yes. So let's let's bring him. Okay, I I will say it as a diehard Finn fan. <gasps> wow, that's big. I would entertain. Wow, seeing that happen. Wow, I know that's very hard. Them for fighting, you. <laughs> them fighting, right? You know, and right. seeing they have to win her but heart. I would really be. I, I've never been a fan of the Finn versus Robert thing because no. for me it doesn't feel that way. No, you know Rob, we said this David before and Robert's Finn done. Yeah heck yeah. All right. Well, wow. that's a big step for you, Shannon. It I'm, is. I'm impressed. Good job. Especially if Hayden came back and then David's like, hey, she's cute. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no. okay. No. He needs to do with Anna. They did have really good chemistry. They did. It was yeah. very good. Yeah. all for it. Yes. So join us on Monday as we
2: talk about this week's episodes and have a good weekend. And we'll meet you at the pier. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to go to peer 54 podcastcom to subscribe on your favorite platform. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can
0: also follow us on many social media channels. Just search for Peer 54 podcast Also, we are not perfect. So if there's something that we missed or messed up, just let us know by emailing us at peer 5 podcast at gmail.com.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.